The church in Rome at this point, right, um, is a mix of Jewish and Gentile believers, but <clears throat> it's mainly Gentile composition, right? Most of the people who are there are not Jews. Gentile just means not Jewish, basically. Right? In this terminology that we're going through here. Later on in the Bible, it starts to say Gentile versus believers, right? Um, but we're talking about Jews versus Gentiles here in this book. Um, so the church in Rome, right, is that mainly Gentile, but that means most people, right, who aren't Jewish. What happens is that the church started, and it was all Jews, basically, right? It started in the synagogues, which is the Jewish place of worship. And um, the Jewish people heard about the message of Christ, um, the Messiah, and some of them believed, some of them did not. Some Greeks, Gentiles, were around the synagogues and kind of leaning Jewish, kind of, and they heard about this. Some of them came and believed too, but mainly it was Jews who believed, Hebrews who believed. And those who believed in Jesus and those Jews who did not had many disagreements, right? Many Jews thought that Christian Jews were following a false Messiah, that Christ wasn't actually the Messiah. This caused tension and caused strife between Jews, right? Some Christian Jews and non-Christian Jews. So, the emperor at the time, Claudius, made an edict that all Jews must leave Rome. Right? So the Jews are cast out of Rome. It doesn't matter who you were, if you're Jewish, you're out of Rome. That happened in 49 AD, but then he died five years later. And so it got removed, right? His last edict was removed, or that edict was removed, and they all got to come back. So Claudius died, the Jews started returning to Rome. So now there's some tension between Jews and the returning, and the Gentiles, who kind of the last five years have been the only ones at this house church, or these churches, right, they have in Rome. What we see is that a lot in this letter, um, this letter of Romans was directed towards the Jewish population of believers. So mainly, even though it was mainly Gentiles, probably in these churches, the letter's written to mainly the Jews. How many years after the Jews returned was this letter written? Only a few years. Three, right? Yeah. 54, 57, do the math, right? Um, they started returning, and they dormant in there for a few years. You can see how there probably still be some tension kind of going on what's happening. Um, the reason why we say it's written towards the Jews, though, is because we have all these phrases, right? We have, but if you bear the name Jew, or Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, right? Chapter 4 is literally just Old Testament, 100%, right? I'm speaking to those who know the law, he says, We've been released from the law. If you're talking to a Gentile, and they're like, we're no longer under law, we're under grace. They're like, I was never a Jew. I was never under the law. So what are you talking about, right? But he's directing this mainly towards the Jewish believers here, right? So the Jewish believers that are there in there. But talking about their unity with the Gentiles. And of course, this is addressed to all the believers in Rome. All the believers in Rome. So the Gentiles are reading this letter. It wasn't like the secret letter just to the Jewish believers. They're all reading this, so they're all still things they can get out of it. The theme of Romans is God's righteousness. Yes, God's righteousness. We see this theme expounded upon <coughs> throughout the letter so far. Um, sorry, I, like a week and a half ago, got sick, and it's just been a lingering sinus thing um, ever since then, so sorry about that. I might mumble more, which some of you think is impossible. But uh, so if I ever am talking too quickly or you can't understand me, just raise your hand or just like do a cut off side or something. I don't know. So to give me to slow down. So this theme is expounded upon throughout all the letter that we have. Chapter one, 
we have Paul introduces himself. We see a theme of verses of Romans. Right? It says in uh, Romans 1, 16, 17, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. Right? Once again, we see the Jew first and then the Greek, kind of this, this horror of, he's written to the, writing this even to the Jews, kind of mainly. And then it says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, For the righteous man shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe, those who live by faith. It says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Right? It starts with salvation and faith. Right? You have eternal life. And then you live out God's righteousness through faith as well. You receive his righteousness whenever you believe. And then you live it out throughout your life. Through living in faith. In verse 18. This is verse 16 and 17. In verse 18 we see um, the wrath of God is revealed. So you have the righteousness revealed here. And the next verse is like, but the wrath of God is revealed through unrighteousness. Right? Um, so the rest of one talks about a need for God's righteousness. Ultimately, it talks about how people hate God because they love their sin. Right? They go into all these different things that go against what God uh, has, has ordained, what God has made, and they go against those because they love their sin and they hate God. But they know that there is a God, ultimately. So, chapter 1, there's a need for righteousness. Chapter 2 condemns those who think they act righteously. Those who are like, ah, those sinful people. I would never. Right? It's like, but do you sin? And they're like, well, yeah. It's like, okay, well, then you're still unrighteous. Right? By your own acts, you're still unrighteous. <clears throat> Paul moves on from that in chapter 2 still to talking about how Jewishness right, does not equal DNA. Right? Does not equal righteousness. Just because you're a Jew, right? he says, that doesn't mean that you're righteous. You're still in sin. In fact, Gentiles, let's go. Um, in fact, Gentiles knew how to become righteous through faith, but Jews didn't. Right? At this stage, Jews are still trying to work for their salvation, but Gentiles, who do instinctively the things of the law, what does the law point you towards? Sin, your sin. Your sin, right? You need for a savior. And the Gentiles were like, I need a savior. And the Jews were like, I can do this still, right? It's like, no, you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it. So it says that the Gentiles know how to become righteous through faith. Jews did not. So Jewishness itself doesn't equal righteousness. Right? Chapter 3, we see that all have sinned, right? The law, you can't follow the law to get righteous, and all are guilty. The only way of righteousness is through faith in Christ. We have Romans three twenty one through 22. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. Right? So, apart from the law, Righteousness comes through faith in Christ, he says. Chapter 4 deals with faith in Old Testament also equals God's righteousness. How you got God's righteousness was through faith. We have the example of who? Abraham. Abraham. Also, a little snippet of who? David. David's mentioned in there. Um, But overall, it's talking about Abraham. So, those who came before Christ. If it's faith in Christ for righteousness, in chapter 3, like it says, well, then what are those before Christ? Was it through the law then? It says, no. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was called and became the first Hebrew, right? the first Jew, the first Israelite, so to speak. God called him and gave us a promise, a threefold promise. What were the three things that he promised Abraham? Land, seed, promise. Land, seed, blessing. Yeah, promise. Yeah. Um, the land was what land? 
Israel, right? The land of Israel he promised to Abraham. The seed was, the descendants would be more than the stars, more numerous than the stars. And especially a certain seed, right, would be a blessing to the entire world. That blessing is that those who bless Abraham, God would bless. Those who curse him, God would curse. And through Abraham, a blessing would come to all the nations, right? Who is the one, the one special seed of Abraham? Jesus, Jesus Christ, right? Because he's a Jew. Jesus was Jewish. And through him, the entire world is blessed. But it says, Abraham believed God and accredited to him as righteousness. That's the way that Abraham received God's righteousness, was by belief in God. Belief in God's promises. We do the same thing, right? We believe in God's promise to give us eternal life. We say, I believe in Jesus Christ to give me what? Eternal life. Not to give me the best life here on earth. Or to give me a huge family with ten kids, right? Or to give me, like, I didn't mean to call out any family here that happens to have ten kids in it. I just, the number popped in my head, sorry. Um, or to give me really a whole bunch of money. I thought why we're believing in Christ. We're believing in Him to get us to heaven, to be with God forever, to have eternal life. We believe in that. We believe in Christ to do that. We believe in His promise. We're given that. We're given God's righteousness. So same thing, Old Testament, faith was, was um, gave us righteousness as well. <coughs> Romans 5 kind of the transition. Okay, so you're righteous. We have peace with God, um, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what are the benefits? What do we get with righteousness, right? What happens there? We get a lot of benefits. Righteousness, we have uh, joy. We have the Holy Spirit, our future hope, other things. We know God's love is greater than our love because while we were still sinning, Christ died for us to bring us back to himself. We're reconciled or brought close to God. We had to be reconciled because Adam sinned. In the garden, Adam ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, disobeyed God, and that sin was passed down to everyone from then on. Right? That's why we have sin nature. That's why the world has fallen. Through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. The reason that trees die is because Adam ate of the fruit. Right? So everything is corrupted because of that one sin. So we had to be reconciled because we were, we were separated from God because of that sin. And that comes through Christ. So through one man, sin entered the world. But then through the righteous act of one man, Jesus Christ, we're reconciled back to him. Jesus died and paid for our sins. And through him, everyone has the chance to be made righteous. There was a lot of sin. Y'all think about that? Like, how much sin has there been ever committed in the entire world of history? A few gigawatts, right? Like, there's a lot of stuff that's over there. Um, but how much grace does God have? more right grace abounds says because where there's a lot of sin but where sin abounded grace abounded all the more grace super abounded is kind of what it says in the, in the Greek so chapter 6 is like okay cool how do we live out God's righteousness right so you have it so here's the kind of like that there's a need okay this is not how you get it here's how you get it it's always been that's how you get it here's the good things you get with it how do we live it out that's kind of how we get to in chapter 6 just because God's grace covers our sin doesn't mean we should keep on sinning, right? So should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? And he says what? Hex is a no. That's the Blake translation, basically. By no means may it never be, right? We've died with Christ. We have been made alive so that we can live for God, live in righteousness. So he says, stop presenting ourselves as slaves to sin and unrighteousness. Present ourselves as slaves to God to live out God's righteousness. Chapter 7 says... But not like that. Right? He says, 
but don't be legalistic, right? He says, don't live out, this is kind of how not to live out God's righteousness. It condemns legalism. Trying to follow the law is not going to get you where you want to go, right? In fact, the more you focus on don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, where are your eyes? Sin, right? You're focused on don't do this as the things. Instead, he says, right, look to Christ, right? Look to the things you should be doing, to following him, to loving God and loving others. Jewish believers have died to the law, so no longer have a need to follow it. We also, obviously, right, as those of us who maybe aren't Jewish, who are believers, aren't under the law, and this principle applies to us too. Focusing on what not to do isn't as good as just focusing on what we should be doing, right? To be in the Word, to love God and love others. Everything else falls under that. If we're loving God or loving others, then we're going to be doing pretty well in our life, right? We saw this conflict of the flesh and the spirit, right? There's a battle going on. Paul's like, okay, I tried to do this, this thing. This commandment says don't covet. Don't want what other people have. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to do that. Why? What do they have, right? Like, what's over there? I kind of want to see and stuff. And so he's like, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to covet, but I find myself coveting. But if I don't want to do it and it's still happening, then there's some division happening here, right? The flesh wants to sin, but I, in my own self, do not want to sin. We talked about how if we gave each one of us an opportunity to say, would you rather keep on sinning or never sin again? We'd be like, I never want to sin again, right? Because at our core, we don't want to do those bad things. And so there's a part of us that's sinless, right? That God, we've been given God's righteousness, we don't sin. And there's a part of us that still sins, the flesh. And there's a battle going on within us. This ends with a plea of who can save Paul from this wretched state of sinning. And the answer comes in the form of Jesus. Jesus. (coughs) Chapter 8 says, walk in the Spirit, right? Here's how you're going to do that. Here's how you really live out God's righteousness. There's no condemnation for the believers because part of us is sinless. The way we are to live out God's righteousness is by walking in the Spirit. We are heirs of God. And we're co-heirs with Christ if we suffer with Christ. All creation is groaning and waiting for our redemption. Because like I said earlier, trees die, animals die, bad things happen in the world because humans were subjected to death and so was the entire world with us. Whenever we fell, the entire world fell as well. And when we're redeemed, so will creation. When we're fully redeemed back to how we're supposed to be, creation also will be redeemed back. (coughs) And for us, believers are literally, it says, predestined for believers to be with God for eternity. Not saying he predestined us to believe, but he said, everyone who did believe, they will be with me. That will happen, and there's nothing that can separate us from God at all. Neither life, nor death, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ. We're secure in Christ. God and his righteousness has made it impossible for us to be separated from our future glory. So that's the flow of Romans so far, right? It starts with the need for righteousness. goes on to how self-righteousness or being Jewish doesn't get you righteousness. How the law doesn't get you righteousness. Everyone's guilty, in fact. And it's only through faith in Christ. And in fact, that's always how it's been. You believe in God, it's credited to you as righteousness. And then we say, okay, so now you're righteous. Here's what you get from that. Here's some of these great things. Have this... Um, and then we have living it out, right? Live out God's righteousness, but not quite like this, right? Don't be legalistic. That's not going to actually help you. Because you have this flesh and spirit who still wants to sin and who doesn't want to sin battling. So make sure you're just walking in the spirit. And then, but no matter what, 
all things work together for our good because we will be with Christ. We will be, and nothing can separate us from the love of God we have in Christ. And that leads us to chapter 9, a lament for Israel. Paul has been addressing this letter mainly to who? Jewish believers, right, in Rome. And now he addresses the fact that, like, current day even for us, are most Jewish people believers in Christ? No. No, right? They don't believe the Messiah has actually come yet. And so he's addressing the fact that at this point, too, a lot of the Jews are not believing in Christ. And so he's like, okay, it's Jews first, also to the Greek, right? But nothing can separate us from the love of Christ then what's going on with the Jewish people? How come they aren't believing in Christ? They were God's chosen people, the Israelites. The promises, everything goes through them. Jesus himself was a Jew. So what's going on there? Jesus presented himself to the Jews to be the king and Messiah, and they rejected him. So now, the Gentiles are now grafted into the Jewish promises. This is why it says down in verse 6, look at uh, chapter 9, verse 6. It says, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. <coughs> not all Jews have believed in the way Abraham believed. Abraham believed God, got righteousness, but not all the Israelites have believed in that same way. Today we're going to look at just the first five verses. But these are really key in understanding why Paul goes into the explanation of the next three chapters talking about Israel. So here's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are actually talking about. Romans 9 talks about Israel's past, Romans 10, Israel's present, and Romans 11, Israel's future. So in the past, right, Israel was chosen to be lights to the world, but they rejected the Messiah. They were God's chosen people, are still. Romans 10 discusses Israel's present. They have heard, they have the chance, but they've still rejected Christ. Romans 11 discusses Israel's future. In the future, though, they will be brought back in. The Gentiles have been grafted into these blessings that were designed for Israel. All the believing Gentiles are grafted in. In fact, the church is meant to make Israel jealous. Right? Israel's like, we're the ones serving God. And then they reject Messiah. And God's like, okay, they're going to be the ones doing that. Right? And so the church is made, it says, to make Israel jealous. We've been grafted into the tree of Israel's blessings. It's like a, he has this image of a tree and these branches, and like olive tree. It's like, there's these roots, and there's big branches. Israel rejected, and so they, some of the branches came off, and then we were grafted in from another tree altogether. We were grafted into this olive tree. But he says, listen, you aren't the new tree, right? Like, those roots are still the Jewish promises, the Jewish covenants. They're still Israel. Our blessings come through Israel, right? The tree supports you. You don't support the root. So that's kind of 11, right? Um, God's grace, he's extended this invitation to us to partake in Israel's blessing. So when is Israel brought back in, though? When that happens, right? That's going to be great. We'll get there eventually. But the reason these first five verses are so important is because they cover what should have been with Israel. They cover what Paul is lamenting over, right? As a whole, that they aren't believers. (coughs) Okay. Any, before we get started, started, right? Any questions or anything at this point? Is this making sense? I have a question. What yeah. would you say is the key theme 
of Romans 9? Is it the lament for Israel, or would you say it's talking about Israel's past? So the key... Is is lament for Israel just kind of verses 1 through 5? Mainly verses 1 through 5. I mean, honestly, kind of 1 through, or 10, sorry, 9 through 10, like those chapters, are kind of overall a lament for Israel. But the theme of, I wouldn't say it's a theme, it's just what's being discussed in 9 is um, their past. Really, it's God's sovereign choosing of Israel to be his chosen people. That's kind of the theme that we're going to see as we go into the next few weeks, or next couple weeks, covering Romans 9. Um, So, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, man. Sinuses. Okay, here's what we're going over. Romans 9, I'm going to read it real quick, and then we'll get into it. (coughs) Paul says this. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were a curse, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are the Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is overall God bless forever. Amen. So Romans 1, 9, 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience has with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and ceasing grief in my heart. Paul is serious about this grief, right? This sorrow is a very dear thing to him. Right? This is coming right after the hope we have in Christ. Remember that. We have hope in Christ. Nothing to separate us. I have incredible sorrow about Israel. He's grieving over the state of Israel. He calls on Christ and the Holy Spirit as witnesses to the depths of his sorrow. For an apostle to say this is pretty serious. The next part. Romans 9.3 For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul wishes that he could be separated from Christ. Is this possible? No. Right? Go read Romans 8. The last like half of that is all about what can't separate us. And it ends with any created thing. Right? So nothing can separate us. Nothing else. Nothing has been created. Are you created? Am I created? Right? So can I separate myself from Christ? No. Right? Because I'm a created thing. I can't separate myself. But Paul is wishing this upon himself. Actually, the word wish here means to make a request to God. So really, it's like praying, right? Paul requests to God that he could be separated from Christ if only his brethren could come to Christ, if only the Israelites could come to Christ. This is very similar to another passage in Scripture. In Exodus, there's a time the Israelites have done yet another screw-up, another rebellion. They aren't doing well in the wilderness. They make a golden calf. It's that one, right? The big one we always think of. God tells Moses, I'm going to wipe out the Israelites. I'm going to make a mighty nation out of you, Moses. And Moses says, please do not, God. Don't do this. God doesn't. And so Moses goes down to the people, and then he sees how bad it really is. And he's pretty upset. So he goes back up to God to try and atone for, to cover the people's sins. To try to make it that God, please don't destroy the people. Here's what he says. <coughs> Oops. 
Moses turned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin. They've made a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. And if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. Right? Talking about the book of life. Right? The Lamb's book of life. It says, if you don't forgive them, just get me out of there, right? Like, don't even have me be saved anymore. Blot me out of your book of life that you've written. Moses uses this as an expression for how strongly he cares for the disobedient and disbelieving Jews. And it's the same thing we see that Paul is doing here. He has so much love for his fellow Jews. <coughs> match. Um, so these are the Israelites, right? Like, these are the Israelites. God's chosen people, the ones to be lights to the world. Here's what God says about them. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you, people of his own possession, out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Right? Like These are the Israelites. Lights of the world, and yet they rejected the light of the world. Right? They rejected the Messiah, even though they're meant to be lights of the world. It says this in Romans 1, or 9, 4. Who are the Israelites? To whom belongs the adoption of sons, the glory and the covenants of the giving of the law, temple service and the promises. God's chosen people to whom belong a lot of these things, right? What's the history of Israel? When did the Hebrews become a thing? Abraham, Abraham right? We know nothing about Abraham and then God chooses him, right? He's like, I'm going to give you a land to see the blessing. Go to this land. I'm going to give it to you, right? Abraham's like, I'm going to go. And he goes. Um, so he promises, God promises him a land, a seed, and a blessing. These promises are passed on to his son Isaac and then to Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel. And then his sons then get this promise, right? This becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. They serve God, they're lights of the nations, like Deuteronomy says. <coughs> one tribe is singled out to have the promised Messiah. It's Judah. Right? And then um, we're going to see King David, right? King David of the tribe of Judah. Um, and his king, God promised that one of David's descendants would rule on the throne of Jerusalem forever. Right? So, who was David's son? Solomon. Is Solomon alive? No, right? So that didn't work out, right? Who was the son after that? Rehoboam. Ooh, that one gets a lot trickier, right? Good job. Um, Rehoboam. What happened to him? He's dead, right? That didn't work out. Um, but we know that that person is Jesus Christ. He's a descendant of David, son of David, right? Who is going to rule the throne forever. And then the Jewish people reject this long-awaited Savior. Not all of them, but the majority of the Jews do, right? But the Hebrew people were chosen, and God had this wonderful plan for them, right? In fact, Paul lists, like, here's what was for them. Here's what was set up for them. He starts off by saying this, adoption as sons, right? We see this in chapter 8. <coughs> go to chapter 8, and I don't know if anyone has their Bible. Well, I know people have their Bible, but um, <laughs> if you're able to go to, like, eight, 18 or something like that, or maybe 16, it's something about adoption for sons there. Everybody gets there first, can just read it.
Maybe we saw 18. Maybe I'm way off. 30. <coughs> I don't know. Abba, Father, it's around that little area. Yes. <laughs> 15? What's it say? It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons, so whom we cry, Abba, so we've, seen, we've, we've received this spirit of adoption as sons. Talking to believers, talking specifically to Jewish believers here, right? Talking to, honestly, everyone, right? Us as believers, everyone who believes in Christ is adopted as a son. To everyone who did believe him in John 1, it says he gave them the right to become a children of God. But then he says here in Romans 9, to the Israelites belong this adoption as sons, right? This is an Old Testament concept. Exodus 4.22, God tells Moses what to say to Pharaoh. He says, Thus you say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Right? God adopts Israel out of all the nations to be his son. Right? Adoption is son. Israel was adopted as son of God, his firstborn. To Israel belongs this adoption of sons we see happening with the church. Right? It was offered to them first. But God loves us. He gave us free will. And Israel rejected him. Even the theme verse of Romans says, the gospel is the power of salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Right? It was offered to the Jews. They said no. Right? And so now it's offered to the Gentiles to be brought in. Right? So belong to them first. Right? And then we've just been grafted in as a Gentile church. The place to see this is Ephesians chapter 1. Um, go ahead and hold your place in Romans and just turn to Ephesians 1 real quick. Um, Paul is discussing this exact same topic about Jews being chosen as God's people and the promises made to them. Start looking at verse 3. Um, so it should be Romans, Ephesians somewhere after that. I can't think that quickly. Um, verse 3, right? So Ephesians 1, 3. <clears throat> and realize Paul's talking about the Jews here. Look what it says. Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing on the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Right? God has blessed the Jews with every spiritual blessing. In Romans 2, Paul asks, What advantage has the Jew? To which he responds, Every advantage. Right? So many things. Right? Great in many respects. So he's been blessed with every spiritual blessing. God chose the Jews to be blameless and holy, right? A people of his own possession. This goes back to that Deuteronomy verse from earlier, right? Like, you be my, my people, chose my everyone to be a holy and blameless people. Exactly what he's saying in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. God chose them to be those people, right? To be the people serving him. It's all throughout the Old Testament. God chose Israel to be his representatives on earth. Look at verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind of intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Okay, same language as, as Romans 9. To the Jews belong this adoption as sons. Right? And there are some Jews even today, they're called Messianic Jews, who believe in the Messiah, believe in Christ, who are adopted as sons, right? 
the some of them who have rejected the Messiah, right? Because they haven't believed in the same way that Abraham believed. And so the Jews belong to them. All of them belong to the doctrine of sons. God set the Jews up as the people. The grace we see from the beloved Jesus Christ comes through the Jews. So he set all this up. He pressed like, hey, these are going to be my people, the people who are going to be adopted as sons, all these things. And then eventually at some point they rejected him. Right? They do it a lot. But with the Messiah especially, they rejected him. We see this in some parables in the, in the New Testament with Christ. talks about how this king has a feast. Right? It's in Matthew 18 to 20 something. He has a feast. He's like, hey, invite everyone to come, all my people to come. And then they sent out the servants and they're like, ah, I'm busy. Or they're like, uh, we're going to beat you. Right? Or oh, we're going to kill this servant. Right? And eventually he's like, okay, I'm going to send my son. They'll respect my son. And then they kill the son. And so then the king says, all right, go to the streets. Get everyone and invite them all to come to this feast. Right? And so we see that's exactly what happened here. The Israelites rejected the Messiah and rejected even his son. So Ephesians 5, or 1, 5, right? He, the adoption of sons belongs to the Israelites. He chose the Israelites to be the holy and blameless people. Continues talking for a little bit, but look down at Ephesians 1, 13. We see a switch in language. Ephesians 1, 13. In him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. In him, you also. What does that symbolize? It's a different group of people, yeah. From us and our and us and our to you also, your believing and your salvation. He's talking to the Ephesians right here, but a different group of people. I'm not talking about the Gentile believers, Church of Ephesus. You listen to the gospel, you believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, because the moment you believe, you have eternal life and you can't lose it. Right? In fact, the Holy Spirit is a down payment, as a pledge, the Holy Spirit has given as a pledge of your inheritance. Is that what it says? What does it say? Our inheritance, right? The Holy Spirit is a down payment as a pledge of our inheritance. It goes from you, 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 you to our inheritance because the Jews are promised all these blessings. But then when Gentile believers give the Holy Spirit as a pledge to get the Jews promise, right, all those blessings. So that's big, right? It switches back to the first person because what we see is Gentile believers get blessings that stem from the promises God made to the Jews. That's really going to see in Romans 11 when we get there. Okay, does that make sense? Any questions before we go back to Romans 9? Yes? So if the Jews have like accepted Jesus as like just initially, would God have just been like, oh, okay, then who needs the Gentiles? Or so, first of all, there were always... Um, there were always Gentile believers, right? Um, um, like it wasn't always just, you didn't have to be a Jew to believe in the Old Testament. You have actually people who were, who were believing who were not even Jewish and stuff. So it's always been a way for people to believe who aren't Jewish. But his people, his ambassadors on earth were always the Jews, right? Um, what we see then is that now the Gentiles, the church brought together, Jews and Gentile believers brought together and stuff. This is getting a little trickiness, but because we're going through Revelation on Sundays, I think it's okay. I think we've got this. So we had Old Testament. 
right? And the Jews mainly, right? And then we have Christ comes, dies, and rises again. So that resurrection. And then what is this section called? The church age. The church age, right? That's the Jews and Gentiles together in one body, unified, um, serving God, right? And then eventually, we don't know how long this is going to last, but eventually we have something called the rapture, and then a how long tribulation? Seven-year tribulation. This seven-year tribulation was talked about all the way back in the Old Testament book of Daniel. In fact, what Daniel saw, he said, after the Messiah is cut off, there will be seven years of incredible distress. So he didn't see this section, whenever Daniel was seeing this. He just saw there has to be seven more years. So what would have had to happen, the Jews would have had to understand that this is the Messiah. They read Isaiah saying he suffered for us and by his wounds were healed. They would have had to crucify him in belief. They would have said, he's the Messiah. He's got to die for us. That's how our sins are paid for. And they would have had to crucify him here. And then it would have been tribulation. Because there still had to be those seven years of tribulation. Because God gave them a time frame from a certain time period. He gave them 490 years. It says after 483, this is all in Daniel. 483, the Messiah is cut off. And then there's seven more years. What are those two numbers added together? 490, right? So there has to be those seven more years for Israel. And those will happen eventually. So does that answer your question? Yes, but I have like seven more Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> we can talk about this. This is something that like I had to do because you brought it up. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have just like, hey guys, we're going over this today. Right. But yeah, so your question was, what would have happened if that, right? Well, we wouldn't even be here today. We wouldn't even be in the eternal kingdom, the thousand-year kingdom, thousand-year kingdom today. We'd be in like eternal state, everything. So you're saying we missed like the speed-running time skip? Yes, there could have been a great time skip where a lot of bad things didn't happen, but a lot of bad things also would have happened in that seven-year period. So, it's still gonna happen happen eventually. So, anyways, okay. Any other questions about the church and Jews and what we see in this? An example of, I was trying to think of a time when I knew of that Gentile believers, the Gentiles became believers before um, the cross, like I was talking about. And I was like, I remember in the book of Esther, they talked about how many people became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Mm-hmm. Is it like that type of thing you're thinking of where people were like, oh wait, they're God, the Jews must have it right. And um, that, and you have Rahab, right? Rahab the prostitute in Jericho, who... Um, the spies went in and was like, yo, um, we're, we're coming. <laughs> like, God is approaching. She's like, okay, I'll hide you spies if you promise, not, if I know that God's going to show mercy to me. And so she was not a Jew at all. Uh, in fact, she was a prostitute, like not the highest moral character we would think, but she herself believes in God, right, and believes in his mercy. And so, yeah, you have examples like that all throughout. I think so. also got a joke, too, is it? Yeah, Job was before there were Jews, really. I mean, maybe, maybe. Kind of Abraham-ish time period, but yeah, he wasn't a Jew. So, and you have Abel, right? You have Noah. It was before Abraham. There's no Hebrews. There's no Jews at that point. So, yeah. Okay, so, back to Romans 9. Flip back to Romans 9 if you haven't already. We're in Romans 9, verse 4, right? Remember that again. 
who are the Israelites, to whom belong the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, temple service, and the promises. Paul grieves for the Israelites to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants. The glory being God's chosen people, right? They're lights of the world. The covenants, we have things like the covenant to Abraham. It's called the Abrahamic. The Mosaic, the ones to Moses, right? Which is the, the, the law, the 713 commandments of the law. We have the Davidic, right? That your son will be on the throne forever, right? Your greater son of David. Those are all given to the Jews. The Jews got the law, including the Old Testament and the prophets, right? Giving of the law. And the temple service. They got to serve in the temple. Literally, God's presence would come down like a cloud. And they were serving and ministering to God directly. And they're the only ones on the face of the earth that were doing that. Right? Literally, straight up serve God in the most holy way. Right into the holy of holies, even. They were chosen as the people to do this. Promises were given to them. If you want to know which promises are given to the Israelites, read the Old Testament. <laughs> like, it is a thing of promises to the Israelites, right? And you see it reiterated over and over again. Especially with the prophets, right? Prophets are like, hey guys, you're sinning. Um, God's going to judge you. If you stop sinning and turn to God, then this may stop. But either way, even if you don't, eventually, I will bring Israel back in. Right? Eventually, you will be brought back in. That's the story of every single book of prophecy that you see there. So, they've given the promises and all these things. Um, but wait, there's more. Look at verse 5. Whose are the fathers... Um, Literally, like, the fathers of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs, speaking of which, um, SBI, Silver Bible Institute, starts on this Wednesday night. You can sign up in the lobby for two classes that we have. There's the patriarchs, which goes over, like, these dudes in Genesis, right? The fathers of the faith in Genesis. And then there's the 412, which is really good as a foundation study. I really recommend if you haven't taken that one, to take that one and sign up for that one. That's Wednesday night. So um, you can sign up in the lobby for that. But the patriarchs, right? Whose are the fathers? Um, and he, um, from whom is the biggest thing, the Christ according to the flesh, whose overall God bless forever. Amen. These people who rejected God don't actually worship God anymore. From them came the Messiah, who is an Israelite. Jesus, who is overall, who is God, who is blessed forever, truly. Amen doesn't mean that this is a prayer. And this whole time we should have been like bowing our heads, right? Amen literally just means truly, right? This is truth. It's a strong affirmation of the truth of what was said. So Paul is deeply moved and sorrowful over the state of Israel because so much belongs to them, right? The design was to have them be the ones who accepted Christ. When he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent and believe in me, right? Be ready for this. The plan was they believe him, but they didn't, right? Of course, God knew they wouldn't, but... They didn't. They had free will to do that. Now, Gentiles, they're supposed to be the light of the world, right? Jews are supposed to be the light of the world, but now they aren't. In fact, Gentiles are lights to the Jews now. They had all these amazing things given to them and set up for them, but right now, a lot of those who are physically Jewish are not believers in the Messiah. So, some application. Okay? One, let's be praying for their redemption, right? It's going to be great whenever they're brought back in. Them being taken out, right, for like a pause of them being like the people on earth that are God-chosen people, um, who are, you know, they're still chosen people, but who are serving him. That meant that like Gentiles are brought in. That was great. Now how much better will it be whenever they're brought back in? 
How much blessing is that going to be? The church is just grafted into the blessings. All the blessings that we get are rooted in the promises made in the Old Testament. A lot of them made in Genesis, right? Is where a lot of our promises come from. Secondly, well, okay, also with that, the Old Testament is important, right? So incredibly important to us as a church today. So if anyone's like, ah, I read the Old Testament, they're just wrong, right? Second, understand that God is still faithful even through man's rebelling, right? God will still fulfill all the promises made to Israel. And there's still a remnant of believing Jews. Right? Talk about this example in uh, Elijah's life. And Elijah's like, I'm the only one left who serves God. And God's like, calm down. Right? There's thousands that have not bowed the need to worship another God. They still worship me. Right? There's always a remnant of believing Jews. And there is even now. He's faithful. He's going to fulfill the promises made to Israel. Okay, just a couple minutes left. So any, any questions over this? I think it's cool that you brought up Elijah. Because in reading like First Kings and Second Kings, you see his story. He's one of the only prophets that gets a lot of screen time from the northern kingdom. Like from Israel, because he was a prophet up there in like the big bad, yeah, um, not just the kind of bad, like the really bad. And so I'm sure it was going through his head like, this can't get any worse. God's like, okay, first of all, take a nap and eat some food. Yeah. Secondly, like, I I have people that are still faithful. So it's like even when it's like, oh my gosh, we're in unprecedented times every five years. this is so so bad and ugly and where is God and all this and it's like he's here like even when it couldn't get any worse cool God's like bro yeah yeah any other questions on this this makes sense we're this was a lot of just a setup week for the rest of what we're going to see in the next three chapters especially. Right? A lot of background was in this to see like what's going on. So, Okay, I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness. We thank you that all the blessings that we receive now are rooted in the, the promises you made to Israel. We thank you that through your grace you've extended this invitation to the Gentiles to the church, that the church age exists, that we can serve you and to love you and love others. And um, ultimately, God, we just pray for the for Israel, for their return to fellowship, to their return to believing in you as a whole, God, and serving you. I pray that um, we would remember your faithfulness, that no matter what rebelling we do, you were always faithful. Nothing can separate us from the love that we have in you, and nothing can separate you from the promises you've made, God. So I pray that we would rely on you, that we would trust you and trust um, that you really do love us. And we know that you do love us, Lord. You've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinning, you died for us. pray that this week would be a good week, that we'd be safe and that we would um, remember and meditate on the promises you've given us, Lord. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.